afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What up? Welcome to Sense of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak, and alongside me as always is Luke Smith. We've got a fun show planned for today. Um, Notre Dame is coming off a 44-34 to 34 win over the North Carolina Tar Heels, and we've got plenty to talk about from that. We witnessed Kyron Williams insert himself into Notre Dame lore as he raced 91 yards down the sideline for one of the most memorable touchdown runs, at least in our lifetime. And we also got to see what the defense looks like without All-American and future first-round pick Kyle Hamilton. Um, then we're joined by a friend of the program, Mike Singer of BlueAndGold.com, to provide a mid-season recruiting update. It's been a relatively quiet time on the Notre Dame recruiting front in terms of landing commitments recently, but the Irish just wrapped up a couple of its most important recruiting weekends of the season, which will undoubtedly have a huge impact on the program going forward. So we'll get into all that and more with Mike in the back half of the show. But as for Saturday, Luke, second home night game in a row, atmosphere looked great again. And, you know, despite some defensive scares, I thought this was a really fun game and a big win for Notre Dame. How did you feel? You're right. It's funny because we were texting before the game and we both said that it was the most confident we felt about a game all season, which I I agree with still. Um, The game itself, it was fun, but it was definitely a little bit annoying at points. And we'll get into that with the defense. But yeah, it was another awesome day in South Bend. I actually drove down Saturday Saturday morning. Um, I had a little bit of difficulty waking my friends up in the morning after we went out the night before, but um, I was you know the responsible one, so that was that was a big thing there. Uh, we Good got idea. on the road, and it was just kind of a perfect permacloud day in South Bend. Like fifty, didn't really see the sun at all, which was great. But had the pleasure of seeing your parents actually, uh, and a number of other fans of the program give. Going to give one of them a shout-out right now, the Silver Fox, Mike McConey. So I also, for the first time, had a, a fan of the program approach me in the stadium for the first time asking, are you Luke? Uh, so that was kind of cool. So shout-out, Danny, if you're out there, although I may have met you before. I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, anyways, was probably actually the worst experience I've had in terms of people around me at a game. Well, We wow. can talk about that later. And but That I, is a pretty, no, <laughs> it's a oh, pretty substantial no, whoa, whoa, bar because we've had whoa, some complaints. Yeah. No, not all time this year. Okay, this year okay. at, at a game in Notre Dame. No, not. I'd say the USC show alone. You went through like five different traumatic no, fan experiences. No, no, no. All this, day next to I'm you. saying this year because I had actually been pretty lucky to date so far this year. But, okay, that um, out. We can get into these clowns later, but the stadium was actually much more crowded than I expected. The tailgate lot slowly filled up through the day by about an hour before a kick. They were pretty full, but I did not think it was going to be the case for most of the day. I mean, a lot of my friends didn't go. Um, it's Halloween weekend and for whatever reason, people in their twenties, like celebrating that and they don't grow up. But, um, I thought the light show probably wasn't as good as the week before, but it was still pretty cool. And what followed it immediately after with Kyron's run made it even sweeter, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, an awesome day in, in South Bend, and uh, I can't believe this, but I think I'm going back there for a third straight week this week. Which You can't? You really? No, but like <laughs> it kind of wears on you a little bit going to the same, to South Bend three weeks in a row. But, um, yeah, you know, it's that goddamn Navy game, so you, you got to do what you got to do. It's They're putting their <laughs> sacrifice, so I'm, I'm doing mine too by going to watch that game. But I don't know. how. It, what was your experience like? That's big of you. Um, it was really good. And I know I've gone on this podcast and said before how much I hate watching Notre Dame games at a bar. This time was a rare outlier, I would say. Watch it with Tommy Waitula. The Waitulas are just big friend of the program. Oh, yeah. We mentioned them. I was with some Waitulas on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, the drill. Yeah, Tommy and I watched at this bar close to Santa Monica Beach. Um, we were the only two Notre Dame fans there, but we had staked out this corner. So we just had the TV right in front of us. It was kind of nice. I stayed for the whole game. It was really fun. Like you said, we were very confident going into the game. And even as 
you know, the tide turned during the game. There were some ebbs and flows. Notre Dame had some scares. But there really was never a point where I was concerned that Notre Dame was going to lose. Even when they were down in the second half, I just felt so confident that Notre Dame was the better team. And um, Well, yeah, they were down for all of 57 seconds. Yeah, yeah, just after that one touchdown in the third quarter. There were some busted plays on defense, and we'll get into that. Um, but overall, I thought it was really fun, exciting, and I – Personally, I like the high-scoring games, even when the defense is giving up points. And it looks like um, we might get another one of those in not this upcoming week, but in the following week against Virginia. So if anything, this is like a good warm-up to that because that might just be the last remaining difficult game um, on the regular season schedule. Well, and even then, if Brennan Armstrong's out with broken ribs, True. I don't know how good of a game that's going to be. But, yeah, that was a weird game, the BYU-UVA one. I mean, they did it up 66 so, um, yeah, I saw broken rib for him and he, yeah. And he's a lefty quarterback. So like, it's a little bit different than like a right, like the way where he, he's literally walking off the field, pointing to his rib saying it's broken. So, yeah. um, it's kind of weird though. When you think about that, cause when you think about Bronco Mendenhall, you think of him as like a defense guy, not somebody that's like a big 12 shootout guy. So I don't know what happened there, but, um, back to this game, I think that's what was cool is that like, they answered the bell every time on offense that they needed to. Uh, and they we knew they were going to need to score points without their best player on defense and just against North Carolina in general, and they did that. So um, there's not a lot to be upset about there. But So I thought that that was, that was cool because there have certainly been some complaints this year about the offense not being explosive enough, um, just being very stagnant at times, and, and that was not the case at all on Saturday. No, not at all. And I think that's a good segue into what we liked because for me – um, it's the Notre Dame offense. And when Notre Dame rolled out the hurry up after the bye against USC, it was, first of all, really refreshing. And it led to the most successful offensive output of the season by far. And then I think after that, it was great, you know, but then we all wondered, is it sustainable? And after Saturday, I think the answer is a resounding yes. Um, what's been working for Notre Dame these past couple games, uh, as Anthony Tresh pointed out, he works for PFF. Um, it's mostly been predicated on the play action and more specifically run pass option. Um, with Jack Cohn on the field the past two games, Notre Dame has run play action 40% of the time. That's a 17% increase from the first six games. And they've run RPO just under a quarter of the time, which is a 13% increase. Um, and some of the early returns on this are obvious. I mean, Jack Cohn looks way more comfortable. The line has improved mostly because they don't have to block as long. And the receivers are getting more opportunities in space. But some numbers that show like just how much of a difference it's been from Florida State to Virginia Tech with we'll go under four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Once Jack Cohn reentered the game, the offense had only had drives over 70 yards nine times. They had 23 and outs in 1.8 points per drive in just the past. We'll call it two and a quarter. They've drove 70-plus yards 10 times. They've only had two three-and-outs, and they've been averaging 4.3 yards per possession if you exclude kneel downs. That's a substantial difference from what we've seen earlier in the year. And even though we had the game like Florida State where the offense looked good, it's a completely different style, but it's been working really well, and I think it's mostly just because this is way more suited to the players who are actually on the field. No, it, it certainly is, and... I got to be honest with you. I was a little bit surprised when they asked Kelly about this in his presser, say it's Monday, so this morning, and he pretty much just said, or it was after the game, actually. He said, uh, we were dumb. Like, we just, like, I don't know how we missed this, basically. Um, like, we should have been playing like this the whole time. We schemed the wrong way. I'm, I'm kind of shocked there wasn't a bigger outrage about that quote. Maybe there have been. I just haven't seen it, but I could – I. I could see a lot of Notre Dame fans thinking, well, if you realize this, we wouldn't have lost to Cincinnati. Um, so I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a bigger outrage to that quote, but perhaps not as craziest quote in that uh, in that press conference. They asked him about Braden Lindsay, and he said, um, no, nah, he was in the concussion protocol, but I had him recite back to me uh, the Gettysburg address, uh, so he's good to go. And <laughs> whoever asked the question said, did he know the Gettysburg Address previous to that? He said, I still don't think he doesn't. You know, he still doesn't know what Gettysburg is, which is just a ridiculous. That's a little concerning, yeah. Does he not see and remember the Titans? I guess not. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah, I mean, I think Kelly's been pretty self-aware. He mentioned the self-scout that the entire staff did going, or during the bye week, I should say, and 
the results so far have been pretty tremendous. I already mentioned the Notre Dame offense as a whole, but then more specifically, Jack Cohn, after the Cincinnati game, a lot of people didn't want him to ever play another snap for Notre Dame. And look, (laughs) you and I both thought that Drew Pine should be the starter, but we always said we're not there every day in practice. And clearly there's something going on there because the way that the coaching staff is stuck behind him and the team as a whole too, it's, it's showing now we're seeing it. And, you know, I mentioned how much more comfortable Cone looks in this offense. One thing I did not expect or anyone probably expected was Cone to show off his legs. Mm-hmm. And then first you got the design run in the first half in the red zone that caught everybody by surprise, especially Carolina. And then he has a 20 yard or 21 yard touchdown run in the third quarter to put Notre Dame back up by four. And his stat lines the past two weeks, they're not going to blow you away. He finished 16 of 24 for 213 yards and a touchdown through the air. But it's clear he's in a groove. And the guys on offense are responding around him. And honestly, it's just been awesome to see. He's not someone who's come up in this program. Obviously, they got him in the transfer portal. But just given what he's gone through this season, it almost feels like he's been here for three years because so much has happened. But now he's in a groove, and the offense looks really good. And a lot of that goes back to him. Yeah, and I want to touch on something right there that you mentioned um, because you're right. I don't think anybody in their right mind expected to see him run. I mean, it wasn't just a touchdown run like you mentioned. Obviously, it was that that other draw. Um, but it was funny in the icon video they they show him just on the sideline, probably as animated as he's been, like yelling like I hit 15 miles an hour there, like I know I did. And um, I actually want to say something about Drew Pine right there because. I mean, everything we've heard is just he's such a great teammate, you know, really highly regarded in the locker room. And in that video, once again, like he's the first guy to Jack Cohn and then Buckner's right after him. I mean, they genuinely seem to get along. And and to be honest, they probably have to because that's the only way I think this thing can really work. So I think that that's probably like and people have talked about it, but maybe a storyline that doesn't get talked enough because just the way that those guys have been able to handle this without just completely overthrowing the locker room, I think has been really impressive, uh, especially in a situation like Drew Pine and, and Jack Cones, where Jack Cones in for one year uh, and, and Drew Pine pretty much, you know, could have been like, what the hell, why did they go out and get this guy? But that hasn't not been the case at all. And, and you see it, it looks genuine in these videos. So I thought that was cool, but yeah. Um, when you look at the stat book and see that Jack Cohn had more rushing yards than Tyler Buckner on uh, on Saturday night, that's a little bit confusing. Yeah, a little bit. But when they, they use Buckner, it's been really good. Like, we understand Notre Dame's going to be running a two-quarterback system from here on out. I think Buckner finished with 15 snaps, including a passing touchdown to Avery Davis and an RPO. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he audibled out of whatever the original call there was, too. So that's huge. I mean, that's one of the big things that we talked about, I think, coming off the bye week on that episode was we just wanted to see very tangible or tangible is not the right word, but, you know, very like there's evidence of growth there. And that's another instance. Definitely. I thought last week there was a huge instance where he hit Mayer over the middle on that pass and kind of hung in and made his read. So that's good to see another step in the in the right direction. And also, it's huge that they don't have to rely on him for an entire game because Jack Cohn's having so much success. Right, and it's worked well. They're coming in at the right times now. It's not situations where you're like, why is Buckner coming in on this play? It makes sense, and I think not only are the players getting in a groove, but the coaches know, okay, this is when we need to utilize it, maybe a little bit more in the red zone. But another thing that it's opened up, referring to Jack Cohn's success, is the run game, and the run game, obviously, being Kyron Williams. <laughs> I mean, what can't you say about that guy? Uh, there He's the have man, been, dude. He's so cool. He is. He really is. And uh, Saturday night was a legacy-defining game for him. Uh, with with that performance, he officially entered Tom Zivikowski territory for me. Like He's up there with he might be my favorite player we've ever had. Um, 22 carries, 199 yards, and a touchdown. A 40-yard punt return and two catches for 15 yards, the, the 91-yard the run that everybody's seen and nobody wants to stop talking about, including myself. Um, I can't describe that. It, it couldn't have come at a better time. You, you put together an awesome video of those UNC idiots dancing on the field during the, the third quarter or fourth quarter light show, and then our next play from scrimmage is literally Kyron running to the crib along their sideline, and in, the, in your video you said it to franchise. That's why we've called him Franchise Williams for as long as we've had this show, pretty much. Uh, the guy is unbelievable. He 
get he, he's your team. He's the heartbeat. Um, there's nothing you really can't say about him. You know, I I keep bringing up the icon video, but this is just Kyron Williams in in a nutshell. After after that play in the video, Kelly goes to Kyron. Is your knee all right? Because Kyron had been in the injury right. tent 15 minutes before that. Kyron looks at him and goes, hell yeah. What'd that look like, coach? He goes, I never stop. That's his response to, is your knee all right? So, I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. I am so glad we have him. And I'm glad that now, like, even if he's having to do a lot of it, that he's finally actually getting to see some on-field production here uh, because he really – it's honestly a fucking shame that he does not have a better offensive line, and these guys have gotten a lot better. But it's just like, damn, imagine if he had, I don't know, 2017 line, the 2018 line even. It would be incredible. So uh, I mean, dude, yeah. if he had the 2020 line, I think we're talking about Kyron Williams breaking the single-season rushing record. He's that I good. think I think he's the Heisman frontrunner. <laughs> Potentially, man. We don't. We probably don't lose to Cincinnati. Um, something interesting that Patrick Engel of BlueAndGold.com pointed out: Kyron has only pass blocked nine times in two games. He was averaging nine and a half pass blocking attempts per game in the first half of the season. So you wonder how this like hurry up offense. First of all, he's getting the ball when the offense is an advantage. Typically, if the quarterback's able to make a read. The defense doesn't have as many guys in the box. So the situations he's getting the ball in are a little bit better. The times he does get the ball, it's not long, drawn-out stretch plays or long, developing plays where he's getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage, although in his 91-yard touchdown run, that's exactly what Mm -hmm. happened. But it seems like the situations that he's getting the ball in are more conducive to him, better for the offensive line. You saw a lot more inside plays. Like, there, How many times during that game were like, Kyron got the ball in between the tackles and it didn't look like there was anything there. And then he just sort of fights through the offensive line or just like that little crowd really. And all of a sudden it's a gain of six or a gain of seven. It was that. And he just seemed very patient and just let things develop. Um, Like very deliberate in the way he was running. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, cause the offensive line obviously has, has played a lot better. I mean, the, the Jack Cone touchdown run, he had all day, uh, like there was no pressure at all, but I'm just kind of thinking about this team and like, it's, you're right. This season kind of feels like it's been going on for like forever. Um, but there's been so many different storylines that become non stories that then become stories. Like for example, the first two games, the story was the defense can't tackle or do anything. And then that went away for like four weeks. Um, And now it's kind of (laughs) back, but I actually think against the Navy, they're probably better suited. You can have your four man front um, and you don't have six defensive backs out there because defensive backfield, especially without Kyle Hamilton is, is very weak. But then you have the offensive line is horrible, which they were. Now it's like a non-story. You don't hear people talk about Kane Madden or Josh Lug anymore. Um, And obviously there's some new guys in there that have helped, but it's like, there have been so many storylines that are just like not stories, but then they're kind of stories again. So I, I don't know. The season's been really weird. So last week against USC, it was pretty much the same group, although Michael Carmody got eight snaps. This week, all five who started played every single snap. This is the group that they want. Well, this is the group that they have, and this is what it's going to be going for. And it looks like they found some sustainability there as well. Right. Um, yeah, the last two weeks have clearly been evidence of that. I mean, it only took what the better part of two months, but um, we're there now. And that's all that really matters at this point. And yeah, now we're going in November seven and one. And it, it kind of seems like this offense is really peaking at the right time. Um, you know, speaking of that offense, Lorenzo styles continues to impress the hell out of me. Um, I don't remember the last time we had a freshman receiver like this, where he just clearly has so much like through the roof potential, I think it's but he's Michael producing Floyd. at this level. It might be. It honestly might be. And they're obviously very different players. But, like, just from a potential standpoint, like, you can see it. It's like, holy shit, uh, this guy's really good. Another game is the leading receiver. This time, three catches for 74 yards and all kind of different sorts of routes. Of course, did have that one drop on the deep ball, but it was a little underthrown. um, And he bounced right back a few plays later with a big 20-yard game. So he's just really fun to watch. And um, also on that Kyron 40-yard punt return Greg tweeted this out 
He drives his guy into the end zone and then sprints back and drills a guy in front of Kyron and springs him for like 20 more. So just really making an impact on special teams as well. He's a fun player to watch. And yes, I did check his brother Sonny's Twitter and he's retweeting all of his brother's highlights. So that can only help us in, in our recruitment of that guy too, is what I'm saying. I know. I love how every time Lorenzo Styles is brought up, immediately we bring up his brother and how it impacts <laughs> his recruitment. As we mentioned before, Sonny Styles, a five-star recruit out of Pickerington Central. I believe he's a safety or he's a defensive back recruit. Yeah. But anyway, it'd be awesome to have both those guys on Notre Dame. And yeah, the play on the punt return is awesome because how often do you get that kind of buy-in? Like that's one of the least fun positions probably in all of football, being the guy on punt return who has to block the gunner. But there's a physicality to him that you don't really see from a lot of freshmen. In the last um, recap, we talked about how Colsey and Styles were on the field for a lot of run plays. They're not afraid to block at all. And that takes a lot of buy-in, you know, in Styles' case, he's been with the program since uh, the beginning of the year. He was an early enrollee and it's been really fun to watch. And really this entire wave of young true freshmen starting, honestly, I thought Logan Diggs played really well. And there's a couple of times where it's like, wow, great run there by Kyron. You're like, oh wait, that's Diggs. Now granted Diggs is number 22 and Kyron is 23. So it's easy to mix him up. But I thought Diggs' running style is extremely patient. He ran while he got his first touchdown on the third and one where he just leaped into the end zone. That was cool. We've already mentioned Buckner. Some of these guys, we didn't expect them to be seeing this much time this early, but it looks like it's paying off, and it's hard not to get excited about all of them. No, exactly. It's um, it's a good balance of winning games, but also developing these young guys and showing a lot of promise. So definitely a good place to be heading and going to November. Yeah, one thing I, I wanted to say, too, we've been all offense so far, so I want to give a shout-out on the defense as well. Um, Jason Adamiola, he finished with three tackles, including one-half tackles for loss and got the assist on a sack. We've talked about the defensive line. That's pretty much the lone strength on the defense right now without Kyle Hamilton. And Hamilton and Foskey get a lot of the spotlight on the defense, and for good reason. Those are two future NFL players. And Jason is too, I think. He's one of the most reliable players, not just on the defense, but the entire team. He's had a really impressive year. And we talked before about how much Notre Dame likes to rotate guys in the D-line, and that's a testament to their depth and the talent um, across the board there on the front four. But Jason is a guy who has to stay on the field. And for the most part, he does. He was on the field for 55 out of 73 snaps for the defense, played lights out, great game by him when Notre Dame really needed it, honestly. Without a doubt, um, I mean, he. there were a couple of plays where I just thought that UNC was going to string guys for 20 yards and he just gets a hold of somebody. Um, and it was it came on a night where Notre Dame really struggled tackling. But uh, another highlight, I would say, uh, defensively is DJ Brown filling in for Kyle Hamilton. Has a pick right after Kyron's huge run, just really electrifying the cl- crowd even more. Unfortunately, they were unable to convert that into a touchdown. They did get three off that. Uh, and actually, let me say, John Doerr did not shank any short kicks this week. And I actually felt pretty confident that he was going to make every single one for once. So I, I don't know why that was. I did but, not share that sentiment. No, <laughs> I felt good. Here's why, because I had a moron behind me just saying, like, Doerr one time. And I turned around at one point and said, you can only say one time if he doesn't make the kick once. He's made all three of them, jackass. So, anyways, um, we'll get to him later. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought DJ Brown, obviously, he's had a kind of up-and-down career. Um, actually, really not even up-and-down, just kind of like a whatever <laughs> career. Um, but he had a nice pick on, on Saturday night, and uh, that was huge. Yeah, what was Hal thinking on that? He threw it right to him. It was a terrible pick. Um, yeah, I don't know. One of the few bad plays Hal had, because honestly, he was incredible. Um, it is kind of funny, though, how Kelly said after the game, he went up and talked to him. And last year, I just remember after the press conference or after the North Carolina game, he kind of indirectly took shots at him while praising Ian Book. Uh, and for good reason. I mean, Notre Dame sort of shut them down in the second half in this game, but Notre Dame really, really struggled with Hal, and I think that's a good segue into what we didn't like because it it starts with the defense, and you've already mentioned the poor tackling. Notre Dame missed 13 tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. That's tied for the most since the Florida State game of the season opener. 12 out of those 13 came when Sam Howell or Josh Downs had the ball. Really? And 87, yeah, 87 of Howell's 91 rushing yards came after contact. 
he's a quarterback. Like we had him down in the backfield a few times, and it was just so frustrating. On his long touchdown run, it didn't even look like guys even tried. It's like they let up at the twenty. It was really weird. A little bit of a regression. Yes, I feel like every time we talk about this defense, um, at least in in this game, we have to mention they are without Kyle Hamilton, best player on the team. He's going to be a top five pick. The defense is clearly not the same without him. They have to scheme differently. But still, missed tackles and stuff, like that's something, if that's happening in the first game, that has to get cleaned up as the season goes on. You really don't want to see a regression like that later than halfway through the season. Right. It's... um... And and that's a good point because I think what's clear to me is that fatigue is setting in for this defense. Um, J.D. Bertrand, frankly, has not played well since the Cincinnati game. Uh, he's been one of Notre Dame's lowest graded defenders in every game since. He's also had two roughing the passer penalties. Granted, the one against USC was horrible, um, but he's had two back-to-back weeks now. Um, still not great in coverage, obviously. That's not really a skill set, but he's played a ton of snaps and – I thought it was really telling today. Um, Kelly said, you know, if we could have, we would have kept Drew White out last week. Like, he was not healthy enough to play. But he wanted to play, and we kind of needed him to play. So um, that's not a good thing at all, especially with a game against Navy coming up. Now, I do think Navy better suits the skill set of guys like Drew White, Jack Heiser, J.D. Bertrand. But um, they've played too many snaps this year. And, I mean, it's not – I don't really know what Notre Dame can do. Uh you lose, what, three linebackers and Paul Mawala, uh, Shane Simon, and, of course, Maris Leofau, who is probably going to be your second best player on defense behind Kyle Hamilton. So it's it's a shit show. Uh, and Prince Colley, of course, they had high help for, but he's been kind of sidelined by the COVID stuff and just kind of got lost in the shuffle, it seems like, because we haven't heard a whole lot about him since. Isaiah Pryor was playing safety on Saturday with Hamilton out. And he actually, he did fine. Um, but he's been one of Notre Dame's better linebackers in the box this year. And they are now pushing, putting him at safety. Xavier Watts is at safety now. It's like, it's just like a... Yeah, it's a mess. That's why, and I, 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 I'm not giving Freeman a total pass here. Because I know there's some things you want to talk about with him. But like, and it's weird to say this, but... They just don't have a ton of talent on the back end of that defense. And we kind of knew Clark Lee was not a very good recruiter. He really, he was not. Um, he, he could I identify. Mean, he, was, he wasn't bad. If you look at their aggregate, it's like, uh, it's pretty much just like a, a three-star ranking is like yeah. their, is like their medium ranking. I see what ranking. you mean. He could develop guys very well. And his scheme maybe at times seemed more... Foolproof isn't the right word, but just less likely to let up big busts. Um, now, there's some stats out there that show that they're actually pretty similar defenses uh, between last year and this year. But I, I don't know. Um, it's just I think it's all coming into setting into fatigue, and, and that's probably tied to some of the missed tackles. But you just can't have that happen. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, every time we talk about the defense in this game, just reminder, Kyle Hamilton's not playing. Oh, yeah. I, that made it so apparent how much he does clean up. Like yeah. the 53-yard run from Ty Chandler. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Kyle the Hamilton busted coverage on the fake screen and the guy streaking down the sideline wide open for a touchdown. Like you, you assume that with Hamilton in the game, something like that doesn't happen. Or it also least- helps when, you know, the refs don't call too blatant pick plays. Um, like blatant pick plays. Yeah, the the one on Josh Downs, I believe, was that fourth down or third down in the first third half? Third down, yeah. yeah. That was tough. Um, but then again, the refs also picked up a flag that I thought was the most blatant. Oh, the roughing, roughing the punter. punter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess in a way that's like payback for the one that wasn't called against Notre Dame in the season opener against Florida State. But it sucked because Kyron's whole punt return, I saw – the hit on the punter and I was like, damn it. Like he's going to have a great return. He's probably going to house this and it's just not going to matter because they just destroyed the punter. (laughs) and Hey, I'll take it. It, It's, you know, one for them and one back for us, I guess. Yeah, uh, I guess so that that's, that's it. I'll take it. I do want to talk about Freeman a little bit though, because Notre Dame has given up easy points on the last drive of the first half, three out of the last four games. And if Keaton Slovis had seen Drake London, who was wide open on the last play of the first half in the USC game, it would have been four out of four. And all these points have been crucial. 
You look at the Cincinnati game. Notre Dame had a god-awful start, but they had a chance to go in the locker room only down 10, but instead the defense gave up a five-play, 80-yard touchdown drive in just, just over a minute. It was a minute and eight seconds. That made it 17 to nothing, and that deficit proved to be insurmountable. And then against Virginia Tech, Notre Dame has a nine-play, 80-yard touchdown drive. They go up 14-10 on Virginia Tech. There's just 32 seconds left in the half. Defense immediately gives up a five-play, 46-yard drive in 28 seconds, ends in a field goal, which cut the lead down to just one. I already mentioned the lucky break Notre Dame got against USC, so that brings us to this past Saturday against Carolina. Notre Dame went up 17-10 to 10 on the Kevin Austin touchdown catch with 123 left in the second quarter. They've got all the momentum going to the half. The defense just needed to hold steady. Irish going up a touchdown. Instead, they gave up the, the easiest 51 yards you can imagine on just seven plays. Drive ends in a field goal that cut the lead down to four. Carolina gets the ball to start the second half, and they scored on a 53-yard touchdown run on just the fifth play from scrimmage. So just like that, you're down three instead of being up a touchdown, or at the very least, you're tied. And on the broadcast, at least, they showed Brian Kelly talking to Marcus Freeman on the sidelines, and it looked like a pretty stern talking to. This has become a trend now, and it just it has to stop. It's just a little bit confusing because the trademark of Marcus Freeman's defense is aggressiveness. And for whatever reason, he's just like kind of goes to this prevent defense before halftime and it's not very aggressive um, at all, obviously. I don't know. Uh, because also, I'm, I'm trying to think about other games this year. Like, didn't Florida State score on the last drive of the half? I think they might have. Well, in the Florida State game, you want to talk about the prevent defense. Yeah. Notre Dame goes up 18 points. They go into prevent, and then that lead disappears in a second. Yeah, just the predictability is, like, astounding. I don't really know what the hell they're doing there. Um, that's the second week in a row where I've, like, just after we've scored, I've gone to the bathroom or whatever in the stadium and, like, just start walking around. And I'm like, oh, shit, they're about to score again. Like, thankfully, USC is stupid, so it didn't happen. But um, that's, yeah. like, the second week in a row, I'm like – I guess I got to sit in my seat uh, because it's the half isn't over. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's really frustrating. Um, I actually had this conversation though with somebody after the game at a tailgate and I it, like, it's a cliche thing, but I think you just need to give Freeman some time with his, with his guys uh, to get his guys in. Like if you look at that Cincinnati defense that they have right now, they're very good. And those that's defense that he built. Um, if he can keep recruiting at this clip and it seems like his name is kind of cooled in a lot of searches this year, at least I haven't heard it yet. I don't really know what big jobs are going to be open yet or not big jobs, but jobs that, you know, maybe he'll take maybe a Michigan state if Mel Tucker bounces again. He seems like that guy bounces every nine months. Um, but I, I don't know. Um, I think you give him some time. I'll be okay. But you're right. The, uh, the end of the half stuff needs to, needs to get cut out. Yeah. It needs to be cut out and, I think from now on, you just have to go back to your base defense in these situations. Do you become more vulnerable to a big play? I mean, maybe, but you're you're giving up points to the prevent anyway. Like, at least give your players a chance to make a stop rather than basically gift wrapping it to the opponent. And again, there's been some injuries on this defense we've already discussed. You mentioned fatigue, fatigue going into the end or fatigue going into the half, something to consider. But it looks like the whole scheme changes. And I think that's when you have a problem. Yeah, I I just don't really understand what they're trying to do. That's kind of that's my big question. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But I mean, that's it for the defense. I think again, like you said, we're going to get we're going to see more improvements over time. They're injured, but the the missed tackles and the poor angles to the tackles is something I'm really going to be looking out for these next few weeks because I already mentioned they had 13 missed tackles. That doesn't even take into account all the poor angles Notre Dame defenders took to get the ball. You know, there's not really a stat for that. But if you're watching it, it just wasn't good. And that's that's something that needs to be cleaned up and fast. Yes, yeah, and speaking of things that need to be cleaned up, uh, Notre Dame's red zone offense, once again, has has scuttled this year, seems like, especially the last several weeks. Um, I just thought there were a number of opportunities for Notre Dame to put the game away and just score touchdowns. Namely, after the DJ Brown pick, they couldn't do that, had to settle for a field goal. And even at the end of the game, especially because I had minus three and a half. So I didn't want to entertain things. I just wanted to punch the ball in the end zone. And you can tell Kyron Williams is pissed off about it too. Um, I, I don't really know what it is, if it's an execution thing or what, but it just seems like it's, it's kind of the same issue that they had last year in the red zone where they just can't really finish drives down there, um, which is weird. Um, 
But I, I don't know. That's kind of like my one nitpicking thing because I, I did think the offense was very good. Now, um, some of the fans around me <laughs> are fucking morons and did not. Let me let me get into this, right? So they are talking about um, – this is how contradictory they were. So when Cone – we had two drives where we did not score. on Saturday, Not including believe, kneel downs, right? yeah. Two drives? Right. Both drives, they're yelling after that drive – Put Pine in. Cone's done. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you watching this game? And then when they would put Buckner in, they're like, well, now Buckner's in. What are they doing? Like, who does this two-point, this two-quarterback system stuff? It doesn't work. Georgia doesn't do it. And at that point, I had to turn around and said, do you know who played quarterback for Georgia today? They're like, no. Stetson Bennett, not JTD. They literally do play two quarterbacks, and they're the number one team in the country. So shut the fuck up. Like, it's just, if you're going to make a scene, at least know what you're talking about. And it was driving my mom nuts, too, because this one asshole behind us, when we were, like, uh, it was when we were up seven, right? So 41-34. Yeah, 41-34. The driveway ended up settling for the field goal at the end. This guy kept behind us every play, kept saying, be careful, be safe here. And it's like, shut up. Like, what What are you trying to say? And my mom kept turning to me like, this guy just needs to can it. And I, I just can't stand idiots. Like, I, I dislike stupid people. It's not that hard to just shut your mouth if you don't know what you're talking about. And there were three guys behind me that were just brutal. <laughs> this this has to be just a permanent segment from now on, like the Smith family versus the Notre Dame fans in their section because every week it's stuff to do it. You can pinpoint games. You were calling out like 2005 Notre Dame USC, 2009 Notre Dame USC a couple weeks ago. <laughs> And this is just, it has to be like an every week update. Like, all right, who are the people sitting in Smith's section and how did they get berated this week? Well, that's what I was saying, though. I've actually been pretty lucky so far this year in that I've had pretty respectable and respectful people around me, people that don't try to act like they know what they're talking about. And that's that's a big thing for me. Like, if you're going to say all this bullshit about two quarterback systems, it's like, oh, you know who else did that today? Michigan. Like, a lot of teams do it, man. Anyways. Um, that's enough ranting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you, though, talking about the fans. You're talking about the fans in the crowd. Despite all the improvements we've seen on the offense the past couple weeks, I've seen a lot of Tommy Reese slander going around. I don't know if it's, like, carryover from when he was I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, where, like, fans are just used to sort of just shitting on him. I, I legitimately don't understand what it is these fans, and I say that with quotes, are watching because... Don't get me wrong, first half of the season was a struggle. There's no denying that. And I get that as the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, you're going to be subject to a lot of criticism, especially when the team isn't performing well. But, like, if Notre Dame's clicking on all cylinders, what are you mad about? The offense, for the most part, was clicking on all cylinders Saturday, despite the fact that they're playing three true freshmen, including their fourth-string left tackle, arguably the second-most important position on the offense for yeah, true freshmen. They've got five scholarship receivers after Lindsay went down. They put up 44 points. They had no turnovers and they averaged 7.7 yards per play. I don't know what more you want out of the offense. And again, first half of the season, I get it. But on Saturday, I saw a lot of that. I just don't get it, man. It, it's, it's weird. And it just goes back to our point that sometimes like, we have to question, do Notre Dame fans even deserve nice things? Like, we try to be rational, but there's so many times where I just see it. And I know college football fans, you go to every fan base, and, like, the worst of them are typically the loudest, and they're not an accurate representation. But considering how much I'm seeing this re-slander at this point, I, I don't know. I, I don't even get it. There needs to be, like, a basic IQ test for admission to, one, going to games at Notre Dame Stadium, and, two... Um, being able to tweet about Notre Dame football. It's like, okay, like... (laughs) And it's a low bar. It doesn't even have to be high. It's like, okay, yeah, this is fine. Like, you can live the rest of your life and do all that stuff, but, like, you're banned from coming and you're banned from tweeting because you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that actually brings me to who's drinking free because I'm going to keep it on Tommy Reese. He looks like a guy who needs a drink. I was laughing out loud. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a clip... They showed it on the broadcast, like right after the Kyron run. And you know how they have that little camera in there where you, it's like right next to Reese and you can see a lot of the offensive coaching staff up in the press box and you see their live mm-hmm. reaction. 
Reese did not react at all. If anything, he looked dejected as if... Is that the grown. picture where they're making all the memes of yes, it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, where he's kind of got his hand on his head and he just yeah. looks like he's been up for like 48 hours and he hasn't slept. Maybe he's just exhausted. Maybe he's just sick of dealing with the commentary that I just mentioned. But it was like comical. And then he does this one smart thing. So everyone's sort of celebrating and he doesn't really react. And then he takes his hands and he covers up his mouth and what he's saying into the headset, which is probably a very, that shows a lot of self-awareness knowing that anything he says is going to be caught on camera. I don't know what he said. Um, He looked somewhat animated, I guess, at least compared to what he was showing before that. But look, man, I, I hope Tommy was able to enjoy himself afterward because the offense looks like it's found its groove. And he deserves a lot of credit for figuring out a way to put his players in the best position possible, um, given the guys that he's got. It's been a bumpy road all season long. I get that. I get why fans were pissed in the first half. I was too. But show some appreciation, man, because it's pretty good. And I think it's going to continue throughout the rest of the season. And we've already mentioned the young guys who are really starting to come on. Like The future of the Notre Dame offense is pretty damn bright. And Reese is responsible for a lot of that. So cheers, Tommy. Yeah, hard to argue with that one. Um However, I, I mean, I, I can't not give it to anybody that's not named Kyron Williams here. Um, I mean, yeah. to be honest, like, I know he got the game ball the week before, but it was a little bit laughable to me that the line got the game ball and not Kyron. I, I don't know how you don't, but I get it, whatever. But anyways, I guess he can drink in his, in his free time anyway. <laughs> so that's that's how I'm going to look yeah. at it. I know. We're just buying him all the beers in the world anyway. Like, yeah. who needs it? <laughs> exactly. It would have been one thing if, like, Kyron got the game ball, and then he was like, no, I'm giving this to the offensive line. Right. But, like, come on, dude. That it was all Kyron. Like, <laughs> Kyron was definitely the best player on the field in that one and deserved the game ball. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that all you got on the uh, North Carolina game? Uh, I think so. So now we talk about my least favorite game of the year that needs to be struck from the schedule, the Navy game. We'll be back for that later this week. <laughs> all right. Let's talk some recruiting. All right, one of our favorite guests is back with us this week. Mike Singer from blueandgold.com joins us now for a little mid-season recruiting update. Mike's been back in the road traveling all over the country this fall to check out some Notre Dame recruiting prospects in person, but he made some time to be here with us today. Mike, the last time we had you on, I think it was early July, um, Notre Dame had the number one class in the 2022 rankings, um, according to Rivals, and now they're sitting at number two with Georgia at number one, and Alabama's creeping back up closer to that top spot. We're a little under two months until the early signing period when recruits can start signing their national letter of intent. Who are the biggest names left on Notre Dame's board in the class of 2022? When you say less than two months from signing day, I'm like, crap, that's that's going to get here quick. And it <laughs> seems like there's just so much more to happen. Um, you know, Notre Dame's got over 20 commits. What is it, 21 or I think it's right around 21 commits. How many spots do they have left? It's there's a lot in flux for less than two months away. So that national signing day in mid December will be here before you know it. But um, yeah, I mean, you look at the the following positions that they still have openings. That is 21 commitments, by the way, quarterback. Um, is there a potential second running back um, receiver? There's so much that can still happen there. Offensive line, um, uh, there's a spot or two open. Do they take, uh, do they get another defensive lineman? It seems like linebackers done. Um, and then secondary, the the biggest name is, is Xavier Wonkler right now, the, the five-star safety from um, Pleasant Hill, Iowa. He was just on campus for the USC game, uh, Notre Dame battling Iowa and Ohio State for him. Uh, I mean, it, there's just a lot on the board. You know, the, there's the five-star LSU quarterback commit, uh, Walker Howard. If um, if um, James Franklin leaves Penn State, you best believe Notre Dame is going to go after some of their commits. Caden Saunders, a receiver. Nicholas Singleton, running back. Drew Shelton, offensive lineman. Heck, maybe even Drew Allar, the quarterback. I don't know. They, they, if I'm Notre Dame and they have a head coaching change over at Penn State, they better call up those guys because they were all big Notre Dame targets before they picked the Nittany Lions. At offensive line, there's Billy Shrouth and Emil Wagner, a couple four-star prospects. Um, they're still on the board. Defensive line, Anthony Lucas, big time, um, strong side end. He could play the three or five technique. Hiro Kanu, uh, German-based. Um, he's from Germany, not based in California. He's a top 100 player per rivals. He was just on campus for an official visit. 
all these positions. Then you got even someone like Carson Tabarachi, who Notre Dame is just recruiting as an athlete. He's from Park City, Utah. He was just on campus for an official for the USC game. Notre Dame doesn't even know exactly where they're recruiting them. They're just kind of <laughs> H-back or tight end or linebacker special teams. Like, so there's a lot left to kind of figure out here. And, and then the other position receiver, there's a Morion Walker who's been committed to Notre Dame for seven months. He just was on campus at Notre Dame this past weekend. Well, now reports are that he's going to Alabama for a third time since June 1st. So it's like, uh, just buckle in, Notre Dame fans. There's a lot to happen between now and uh, National Signing Day in 2022. Yeah, no, absolutely seems to be the case. You just well, you know what, Luke, real quick, that was one heck of a rundown on the entire 2022 <laughs> I board. I was very in impressed. In like two minutes off the top of my head. Can I get a round of applause, please? Can we get a little? This yeah. is why we have you on, Mike. For what it's worth, he was not <laughs> reading off something. It was very impressive. I was like, wow. And because you also laid out pretty much the set of questions we wanted to ask perfectly by naming a lot of the names. <laughs> but one of those, uh, Xavier Wonkba, I know that the Notre Dame coaching staff is kind of selling him on being the heir apparent to superstar Kyle Hamilton. But like you mentioned, they're in a dogfight with Iowa right now to, to get the four-star safety to leave his home state and come to South Bend. So what, what can you tell us about his recruitment? Yeah, five-star. Rivals has him as five. I think most sites are starting to come around him as a five-star prospect. Yeah, I mean, he's got another five-star player on his own team, Caden Proctor, an offensive tackle in the 23 class. He was also on Notre Dame's campus for that USC game and um, – it's it's crazy just, that Notre yeah, Dame they just breed him a little bit differently in Iowa now. What's going I on? Yes, I mean it's crazy that Iowa has like the state of Iowa has two five star prospects, let alone let the alone same, on the same team. High school, right. Right. Um, it's crazy, and it seems like for both of those guys, it's Iowa, Notre Dame, Ohio State, kind of top three. Um, I mean, look, when you're Notre Dame and you have a national recruiting brand, you have to go all over the nation and you battle in state you for all of these kids. Like that's kind of the biggest thing, especially in pandemic recruiting. A lot of these kids want to stay close to home and that's kind of what it's going to come down to. How strong of a pull is it to stay close to Iowa? And I know a lot of Notre Dame fans are like ticked off. Like we can't beat Iowa for a recruit. It, you know, like, I don't care if Notre Dame's going into Dakota for a recruit. Like North Dakota State is might be tough. I mean, that that's a little bit of a stretch, but you guys kind of get what I'm saying. It's tough to go into those backyards, especially when Iowa's been playing well this season and just a lot of local pull. So right now I like Iowa for Xavier Wonkba. Um, he's at Ohio State the weekend of October 30th. Um, and that's probably going to be his last visit. Um, unless he, you know, I think he's deciding to December 8th, maybe sneaks by Iowa one more time since they're local, but he's kind of going into decision mode with playoffs coming up and just kind of focus on what he wants to do. Well, it's always going to be a big story when a five-star quarterback visits South Bend. Um, you already mentioned Walker Howard, the LSU commit five-star from Louisiana. So another situation where Notre Dame is trying to get a guy away from his home state. With everything that's going on at LSU, I think some people are hopeful that Notre Dame has a chance to flip his commitment. But in reality, it's really hard to get someone from Louisiana that's committed to LSU to leave. So what's Notre Dame's approach at the quarterback position now? Are they trying to get two and he's just the best name? Or is this just like he's a five-star? we got to give him an opportunity if he's even somewhat interested. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, Tyler. And it goes back to just my last point of Notre Dame battling, you know, the big in-state yeah. school. You know, you, you got to pull, you know, uh, that kid out of LSU. His dad played for the Tigers in the 90s. Um, I mean, he, kid grew up, you know, bleeding LSU. What are the LSUs called? Purple and gold? Purple is, gold. That, is that purple yeah. and gold? Uh, I, I I could see the jerseys. Just I didn't know if it, they would call that yellow or gold. But anyways, um so, yeah, it's tough. I mean, he took an official this past weekend. So my mantra right now, now since recruiting visits are back open, it, it's follow the visits. Like a kid might say something in an interview, but that's words, right? It's kind of just goes back to action, speak louder than words. So his actions are saying he just took an official to Notre Dame. Um, that, that That's probably ruffling some feathers down there. You know, like. Does he have any scheduled visits for other schools that you know of? I'm not hearing anything other than Notre Dame and LSU for Walker Howard. Now I am sure I actually broke the news when he was going to be visiting Notre Dame for the Cincinnati game. Uh, and then unfortunately um, he had a major leg injury the night before um, he was going to take that visit. 
So that's kind of another even follow the visits thing that, you know, he still ended up making back a few weeks later. Um, but uh, I'm sure once that news came out and people started to realize, okay, he's looking around a little bit. I'm sure he got 50 schools hit him up, um, but I'm not hearing anything other than uh, Notre Dame and LSU. So, I mean, I'm, I did, I just was talking to sources about Walker Howard, like a half hour before we started recording and there is not a super strong feeling inside the Goog what he's going to do either way. Um, I'm kind of feeling a little bit optimistic that Notre Dame's going to be able to pull this one off. Um, but I expect it to be something that I, I write about and talk about for the next month and some change. Like it's, I mean, LSU's not going to hire a coach until a couple of days after Thanksgiving or whatever it is, that last game um, that they play. So he's not going to make a decision before then. Um, at least I would imagine. So we'll just uh, have to wait and see on that one. We mentioned at the top that you've been traveling around to see a bunch of different prospects in action of the prospects you've been able to see so far this year in person. Who, who has impressed you the most? Oh, dude, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone where I've gone <laughs> this season. Um, That's actually the man. next question. What did you have for breakfast? This yeah. morning? I, you know, that's a trick question. Actually didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> I just, I wake up and I get right to work and then it's like, Oh, it's 1130. I guess I'll just wait till lunch now. Um, those, I mean, Keon Keeley was, I think my first trip, he's a, a Notre Dame, um, defensive end come in the 23 class was high school junior rivals has him just outside the top hundred players in the country. There's another site, um, that has him ranked as a five-star prospect, number five player in the country. He's been darn good. Um, so I saw him, he had three sacks in a game, just I mean, bull rush this tackle and put him on his butt and sack the quarterback in like the second or third play of the game. Then a TFL, the next play, like. Keon Keeley is a really impressive player. Um, I mean, the thing is, when you get those kind of kids who are like darn good and then just keep getting better, like I'm sure Alabama's calling this kid like Clemson, like everyone's going to be calling him. So Notre Dame's got a battle to hold on to him. So I would say he's the most impressive guy. He just had a really good game against Arch Manning. Yeah, had um, a pick. He, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he picked off Arch Manning and sacked him. Um, I think he had uh, one and a half sacks. So that's, that's not too bad. Something to hang your hat on. And they, they beat up uh, Arch Manning's team. So um, he definitely comes to mind um, to Donald. I've seen a lot of DBs this season. It just kind of how the schedules worked out. I see a lot of safeties and that's not a good position to go see because it's very easy to take a safety out of the game if you're an offense um, so Keeley definitely comes to mind. I was just in Naples, Florida, which was a great place to visit in late October, seeing Devin Moore, uh, 2022 DB commit for Notre Dame, um, corner or safety for the Irish. And first play of the game, he had a 90 yard kickoff return touchdown that I didn't get on film because I didn't realize he was back there. Um, so I was pretty pissed about that, but here we are. So I didn't get fired for it. So we're all right. <laughs> well, this year we're seeing a lot of true freshmen get significant playing time. Definitely more so than in years past. Some of it is because of necessity, like Joe Alt, but guys like Blake Fisher and Lorenzo Styles, um, they really earn their reps with their play. Which Notre Dame commits do you think will have the most immediate impact next season? I think I need to make a comment on that. Joe Alt's been playing by necessity. That dude's just a baller. Yeah, who would have predicted that? <laughs> who would have predicted that? I never, I never was the Joe Alt fan club president. Or yeah, I'm still waiting for you to to change your uh, Twitter handle to that. I know you. you <laughs> you know, thought about it at one point, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm just, you know, I get known for a few things in, in the Notre Dame community. And um, one of them's definitely bring the president of the Joe Alt fan club, which I, um, I wear with great pride. Like Joe Alt doesn't really tweet, you know, he's not really a Twitter guy, but anytime I tweet about him, he always likes it, which I, which <laughs> I appreciate. Um, I'll shoot a, his data text and end it with hashtag Joe Alt fan club. And I think they, they find it funny, but um. No, that kid's a baller. He, I mean, as, as much as I love Joe Alt, like he's better at this point than I thought, like by far. I thought it was going to be like, you know, junior year. He's going to be, you know, starting and, you know, just be, be someone who's just so darn good. But I, I didn't see it this early. But anyways, to your question. So 2022 class, who could play as a freshman? Is that, was that the question? Yeah. The one that kind of comes to mind the most is CJ Williams, um, top 50 recruit um, from loaded modern day high school in, in Southern California. He's just like this ready-made wide receiver. Like, I don't think he's got a super high ceiling. Like he's not um, just going to blow your doors off athletically, but like what he can do 
just as a technician at the wide receiver position is so impressive. They just modern age had a, um, a big win over another nationally ranked team and he caught eight balls for 135 yards and a touchdown. Like he's, he's just so good. Like he doesn't even need to get that much separation because he knows how to shield off the corners. Like he, he so smart. Um, he, he's a heck of a player and he's another guy who's had like a great senior season. So like Texas and Stanford were finalists for him. Their coaches are still, you know, pushing for him. I bet USC's new coach that, that, his first call better be to CJ Williams. Like who else would you call? So um, yeah, he, he comes to mind, but like, it's like, if like this time last year, I would not have told you Joe Walton, Mitchell Evans will be playing like they're, they were like the project takes. And now those guys are like playing a ton. Davis Sherwood is a walk-on linebacker. Who's played every game on special teams. Like you, you, I don't know, man, throw and put up all the names on a dartboard and throw one. And, and that, that's, that's your, that, that's who I'll say other than CJ Williams, just, I don't know, pick a name out of a hat. You, I don't know, dude, it's crazy. I mean, Donovan Heinish, maybe he's like the lowest ranked player in the class. Like maybe he's a starter day one, you know, who the heck knows? Well, that's what I was going to ask you looking through that prism that you looked at Joe Alt last year, who's the Joe Alt of the 2022 class that could come out of nowhere like that. I'll give you, so this is my fourth, fourth, no, third recruiting class cover Notre Dame. 2020 is my first. Pine was my guy in 2020. Like, I just love the heck out of Drew Pine. 2021 is alt. The 22 class, my favorite prospects, just kind of across the board, just like whether it's player, person, everything is, is Steve Angeli. So two out of the three classes is a quarterback. I just love Angeli. The family's awesome. I love him, I, especially when I feel like people are sleeping on a kid because of his ranking or whatever it is. I kind of like latch onto that prospect and want to defend them. And uh, Angeli is definitely that guy. I mean, so many Notre Dame fans were pissed when the Fighting Irish took his commitment uh, in March. And I'm like, dude, I've seen him in person. Like, kid's awesome and still feel strongly about him. But I think Eli Raridan, um, to kind of answer your question, um, Luke, is, you know, he might be someone that busts onto the scene. Um, 6'6", 220. I think 24-7 just bumped him to a top 100 player in the country. Rival still has him a three-star, but um, so quite the disparity there. But every, I think all these recruiting sites are going to come around on him as a, as a four-star, like highly ranked guy, and I could see him playing pretty early. He is a freak. When you see him in person, um, he is bigger, you know, than like, it feels like he's listed. He, you know, I, I really like him. He's been productive this season too. A couple weeks ago, Notre Dame had its biggest recruiting weekend of the year uh, for their matchup against our tribal Southern Cal. It felt like Notre Dame pulled out all the stops for this one. Um, highlighted by the LED light show that pretty much everyone's been talking about lately. It's hard to really quantify, but how much does that stuff actually matter to recruits on their visits? Like the light show, and yeah, just all like the, the glitz, and, the glitz glam. and glamour, yeah. You know, it's it's something that they mention. Like I ask a kid how the visit went, and you know, uh, oh, yeah, I love the atmosphere, which is kind of just like, oh, well, what the heck is atmosphere? It's kind of one of those things you know when you see it. Uh, it's hard to describe it, but that, then the light show is a part of that. You know the the you know the push ups that the you know the fans do in the stadium. The um, uh, just all sorts of traditions that Notre Dame has. Like the kids love that stuff. Um, Notre Dame is just a unique, unique place. I mean, um, no branding around the stadium. The stadium's not even branded itself. It's just a Notre Dame stadium. Like a lot of small details about Notre Dame that these kids really like. So um, like you said, Tyler, it's kind of hard to quantify it, but um, you know, it's something that the kids mention. It definitely doesn't hurt. Um, all these schools have great facilities, um, great campuses, everything's clean and nice and well organized. You got to do things to separate yourself, uh, which the academics is always what is going to separate Notre Dame from other schools. But, you know, little things like the light show is just something cool that the recruits remember on their visits. Prior to that, Notre Dame's second biggest recruiting weekend this season was against Cincinnati. And unfortunately, it wasn't a great showing for the team. Some fans, of course, immediately overreacted, thinking the loss on the field in turn means a negative impact on all the recruits who visited. You've mentioned before that the result of the game doesn't really matter that much to recruits. And, and I know it varies from person to person, but typically, what do you think matters most to recruits when they take an official visit? Whew. 
Um, I'm part of it is like I said, it kind of varies, varies to recruit. So what is what is he looking like? Does he have questions that he wants answered, whether it's playing time um, or, you know, uh, the spots available at his position? Like there's just so many different things you could look at. I think it's relationship with coaches is probably the number one thing. Like um, how, how well does he click with the coaching staff? What's that bond like? What do his parents think about them? Um, that's, I, I think that's always the biggest thing. Notre Dame does a great job on the visits. I mean, um, just for the USC weekend, I mean, Mike Elston, Aaron Kearney, Dave Ploquin, like um, those guys do a great job putting on um, the visit weekends and, and organizing that. And um, it, it's, it's, it's been a well-oiled machine at Notre Dame, you know, since, uh, since June. Um, so I hope that answers your question. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it, yeah, it's, it, it varies by prospect, but I think the general thing is yeah, the connection with the coaches um, and then, you know, Notre Dame sells four for 40 on those kids, the academics, the parents are there. They, it's a scheduled visit. Those kids and parents, they're doing what Notre Dame wants them to do. Um, and, and they roll out the red carpet and do a nice job. You mentioned that well-oiled machine. And I'm curious because there are so many prospects on campus during both the weekends we just mentioned. I wonder how the coaching staff is able to give each recruit the time of day, in addition to all the responsibilities they have revolving around the actual game. Yeah. So it, it takes a village, and I know there are a ton of people involved on the sports staff who work really hard to make big weekends like this run as smoothly as possible. But in talking to recruits, could you give us some insight into what that looks like for a recruit? Like, what's the itinerary on game day? Who are they talking to? What are they seeing? What does that all look like? Yeah, so I think for USC, there ended up being like 120 recruits that visited. <laughs> but what you got to remember is it's not 120 Xavier Wonkbas. Like, right. There's like a 2025 quarterback with like no offers or, you know, it's or it's someone who just like tagged along with their friend and, and they got to recruit like they're part of the 120. So you got to like it, a lot of it's just 2024s, 2025s, okay. yeah. even not notable 2023s. You got some 2022 walk on candidates. So it's not like there's 120 recruits that they all want to get from the one weekend. So like. Let's just cut it in half from there. Um, some of the kids don't get, like, even if they have Notre Dame offers, some of them don't get to talk to the coaching staff just because, like, they can't physically talk to everyone. Like, they just can't. The biggest thing that that you get when you, if you're a recruit and you go on these game day visits, at least for me covering Notre Dame, is the game experience. Even if you are... Um, you know, a big time unofficial visitor for Notre Dame and you're just there for the day, you'll get to talk to the Notre Dame staff for 20, 25 minutes, you know, uh, while you're there. That's not a lot. You're there for the game. You're, you're there to see the game atmosphere and what the experience is like there. You already visited in June and did your official and spent um, you know, a lot of time at like Brian Kelly's lake house or, um, you know, did meetings with the Irish coaching staff. That's what the summer visits are for in the off season. When you're there for a game, it's not a big thing about talking to the coaching staff and doing all that. Of course, those things do happen though. So there will be group settings where it's like 2023 offensive, uh, big targets will meet with Reese and Kelly. And then right after that, Reese and Kelly will go meet with the big 2023 defensive guys. You got like Chad Bowden, the defensive recruiting director, and uh, his counterpart, Dre Brown, on the offensive side of the ball. Like they're walking around with kids all day, um, you know, recruiting the top guys. You got um, plenty of people in the recruiting office who are doing, you know, tours and driving them around on golf carts. It's, yeah, like you said, it takes a village from the student interns up to even Jack Swarbrick met with uh, Anthony Lucas. Um, top defensive line target for the Irish. Like they're all involved in this. So um, that's about as much I can give you. I've, I mean, I kind of want to sneak on a visit one day and, you know, maybe I have to wait until I like have a kid who's, who's recruited by one of these schools to really experience it firsthand. Um, Four star D end Mike Singer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's funny you say that actually. I hadn't really thought about it from like a tag along perspective, but I just am now remembering that. Uh, my freshman year of college, one of my buddies, he went to high school with Cole Komet. Notre Dame was recruiting Cole Komet at the time as a junior. And uh, 
he was already enrolled at Notre Dame as a freshman, but like they gave him like a lanyard to like meet, go down with him on the field prior to the game. Like as, and he was already enrolled at, at Notre Dame, <laughs> but technically he was like getting all the recruit treatment. So it's funny to think about that. Um, before we let you go, we have to ask what's more likely Arch Manning commits to Notre Dame or I win the lottery. I mean, Arch Manning, <laughs> because you're not winning the lottery. <laughs> like okay. that, that's Never just not going to happen. I mean, are you even are you even doing the lottery, Luke? Like, no, exactly. Oh, so, so, there, so there you go. <laughs> um, I mean, at least like I would say Notre Dame's running maybe uh, seventh or eighth, maybe ninth for Arch Manning. Oh, wow, that's higher than I was expecting. I didn't even think he was really actually considering him. So there, it, there seems to be like a tier one of schools he's looking at. You know, like an Ole Miss, Texas, Georgia, Clemson, and then there's like a tier two or, or so maybe you put Notre Dame in tier two or tier three, tier three with like Ohio state and Stanford, uh, like Alabama is up there. Um, I don't know, maybe Duke because of the cut cliff connection somewhere in there. So it's like a tier three ish, you know, maybe let's say tier 2.5. It's, it's kind of been like a, every once in a while, Arch will do an interview or his coach and they'll kind of, Oh yeah, Notre Dame. We would like to see Notre Dame. But that's that's about it. Joe Theismann did an interview over the summer and, and said that Arch Manning had visited Notre Dame. That was a bombshell. Like, what the heck are you talking about? Because he didn't. And that's been confirmed. Arch hasn't been to Notre Dame. Um, Thanks, so Joe. I would. Yeah, seriously. So I would say it's more likely that he picks Notre Dame just because okay. who knows? I'm mean, coaching changes, all crazy stuff. Uh, maybe Notre Dame hires Peyton Manning as a consultant. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Some of that stuff is more likely than you winning the lottery, I feel like. True. All right. Be sure to check out Mike's work on blueandgold.com and Blue and Gold Illustrated for the latest and best Notre Dame recruiting coverage around. And give him a follow on Twitter at Mike T. Singer. Thanks for the time as always, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, love coming on here. So what, my third, third, fourth time? Fourth. Four, yeah. Fourth. Fourth. Most recurring guest. Most recurring guest by far. Let's go. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that says something good about me or something bad about you guys. So <laughs> probably a little good. bit of both. All right, man. Take care. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That's it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. From Luke and myself, thank you for listening. We'll be back with you guys on Friday to get you ready for the triple option as Navy comes into town for the return of the rivalry built on mutual respect. Um, until then, please rate, review, and subscribe, and give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sad Irish. See you Friday.